It's time for Bourbon with Friends, the bourbon podcast that never takes itself too seriously. Pull up a chair, grab a glass, and remember, a bourbon with friends can change the world. Here we go. Hello and welcome again to another episode of Bourbon with Friends. This is a very interesting dynamic, number one, because our special guest is not in the United States of America. Um, what time is it there, Zach? Just curious. It is 4.11 in the morning. So first of all, this is the definitely the winner for the earliest podcast for anyone because I'm not waking up at 4 o'clock in the morning for shit. Um, our special guest today... Um, he is uh, someone that we've gotten to know a little bit over the last few months. Uh, Zach Johnston, uh, he is the drinks editor for Uproxx, uh, and he is also a judge for the San Francisco Spirits competition. How we connected is he wrote a nice little article. Uh, what was it in February, I think? Uh, I believe it says all the whiskey podcasts you should be listening to. Uh, he basically listed out the top 18 and we made the cut. So, Zach, now you see this is what this is like. Either this is just genuine or the best ploy to get on podcasts ever to put people on a list and get invited. So, what's up, man? Thanks for joining us and uh, give everybody just a little bit of backstory about what you do and uh, and kind of how you got into the whole spirits game. Sure. And uh, first of all, thank you guys for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, and uh, yeah, I just uh, long story short. I was in the high-end bar industry. Um, I had a background with uh, good bourbon from a friend of mine I played cribbage with back in the day when I was in film school. Um, he introduced me to Pappy and Black Maple Hill and all those like high-end bottles that were actually MSRP back in the mid two thousands. Um, so That's we are now point for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, we look back at it now and just sort of shake our heads and kick ourselves of all the money we literally pissed away. Yes. Um, but no, after that, I, uh, I got a really lucky in that I was trained to be a high end cocktail bartender by some of the best people in Europe, basically for that. And then around 2015, late 2015, early 2016, I started transitioning into media, uh, writing for up rocks, uh, under the life section under Steve Bermucci Initially, it was more food, travel, sort of related. Um, but since I was coming from a booze background, mm-hmm. I pushed for writing more about um, wine, whiskey, cocktails. And I was very, very lucky in that uh, Steve Bermucci, my managing editor, was very open to that, very collaborative. And we sort of were able to build the drink section together over the last, what is it, six, seven years now, um, to the point where, you know, he, he, he was very smart in, you know, taking someone who had expertise and helping me form that into a way that any person could understand without it being too bogged down and basically bullshit that people don't care about. Right. Um, so, yeah. And then, you know, here I am. What made you, so you've been out of country for 20 years now. And by the way, uh, Connor's here too. Paul forgot <laughs> oh, to mention I'm here. Um, um, what you said, you're mentioning here. <laughs> 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 yeah, I, 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 I got caught up in the intro, man. I got caught up in the intro. I know. I was. I got caught up in Zach's beautiful lock of locks of hair. I was just mesmerized. Um, Zach, you mentioned you're out. You've been out of country for what the past twenty years or so. So what? What? Why? Why? What? Why? Why did you go out of country? Did, did uh, the job so, take you out there, or or what? What did? Kind of yes, kind of no. Um, I left in 03. Uh, basically, I finished up with college. Even though I didn't graduate, I was just done. Uh, didn't want to go too far in debt. So then I was just tired of... Same. I can do- yeah. totally I can totally relate to that, by the way. Yeah. I was just tired of like reading about places I could just fucking go to. And so uh, I, uh, I got a job teaching English in Prague which is such a cliche for 03 because I feel like there's so many people that did that. But uh, I moved to Prague in 03, had a good time there for a year, and then sort of realized it wasn't as deep as I wanted to go. So I moved to Moscow in 04, lived there for a year. Um, 
ended up traveling for a while, uh, ended up back in Prague, Jakarta, traveled across Asia overland, uh, went to Eastern Africa for a while, uh, and then eventually got my shit together and went to film school and actually tried to focus in on writing as a career. Um, and then after I graduated from there, I came back to Berlin because Berlin has an amazing film scene. You know, it's sort of, for lack of a better term, the Hollywood of Europe. Uh, and I tried to work in documentary here. And then, you know, then just suddenly 15 years go by, man. And here you are, <laughs> you know. So I'm a, I'm a kind of a film buff myself. I'm really into movies, television, uh, that sort of thing. What's big over there in, in, in Berlin? What's, what type of film is, is kind of standard? I mean, thinking all the big same shit over here is over there, you know, it's like in Pulp Fiction, right? <laughs> Just a little differences, but no, I mean, Berlin has the Berlin Allo, which is a, one of the biggest uh, film festivals in the world. So you get a lot of international cinema here. A lot of like you, could, it's funny. You'll go to a cinema here, and they'll have full English language versions of everything and uh, original versions of films from, you know, India and Ukraine and Poland and Uganda and Israel and blah blah blah. All at the same theater that they're showing Marvel movies. So it's a little more integrated in the sense that you get a a bit more of a a wider net cast from the films you can actually see in the cinema. And then the documentary scene here is just way more integrated into everyday TV life and stuff. And also cinema in that the German government spends hundreds of millions every year, every year, uh, uh, helping people make documentaries. And so it's just, I'd say a bit broader in the sense that you get the world cinema here. You don't quite get it in the U S though. Now that all means nothing with streaming. So kind of talking yeah. about my ass. <laughs> I've never seen, and I, maybe Paul has, Paul might be a little bit more cultured than me, but I've never seen a foreign language film inside an American movie theater before in my entire life. Yeah. It's rare, like, right? <clears throat> I haven't either, but that's just yeah. because Americans don't like reading shit when they're trying. To exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm a big, I'm a big subtitles guy though. And when I have a movie on, not for the first time, if I'm watching it for the first time, don't want subtitles second time. And every time past that subtitles need to be on. He's not lying either. He's at my house. He's like, Hey, can we put the subtitles on? I looked at him like, what, what? Like, what are you asking? Like, what, what the Connor, we're watching Zack Snyder's justice league. Why do you need oh. the subtitles on? Yeah, Cause yeah. man, I want to hear what Batman says. We're we're watching <laughs> Dune right now. What do you need? Like, <laughs> like I don't know, man. Like, yeah, you don't want to you don't want to ruin that beautiful image. Yeah, I know. It's it was it's funny. Solid. So you've been out of the country for a long time. I you know I've been to Europe several times. I've been to Germany. I've never been to Berlin. I've been to uh, I've been to Germany a few times. The bourbon whiskey scene over there is not what it is in our neck of the woods. So how was it that that all came about? Uh, a big part of that for me was uh, working at Victoria Bar in Berlin, but also then going to BCD, Berlin Bar Convent, uh, which is like the big, huge industry trade show that happens every year in Berlin. That's been going on for a while now. And I think they, well, I don't think, I know they also have a, a branch in Brooklyn now. And I started going to that, God, probably 10 years ago now. And it's this huge, you know, like convention center, and it's just all booths of booze brands, beer, a little bit of wine, a little bit of beer, and then spirits. And so, um, you know, Campari would have this huge, like, corner booth with everything Campari from Wilder, actual Campari, right. blah, blah, blah. You know, Michter's always had a big corner booth. You know, uh, Heaven Hill would always be there. And one of my um, good friends through actually my kids um, was the at the time the buyer for heaven hill who would go out and buy juice and you know get things organized for heaven mm -hmm. hills releases in europe that are technically white labeled and so i would uh go around with him to all the booths and introduce me to people and so by the time i actually got to up rocks i already had all these contacts like i could literally like call up Jameson and be like, Hey, I can, you know, write an article with Brian nation. If you guys are interested. And it was like, yeah, come up to Dublin for the day. And they fly me up. And, you know, I was able to bring that to the table with Uproxx where it was like, they didn't, I didn't need to rely on like Steve Ramucci or my editor in chief or someone like that 
to like feed me stuff to get right. me going. I could just be like, Hey, you know, uh, Johnny Walker wants to fly me up to Edinburgh for the day to do an interview. You know, here's the pitch. I'll write about this, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, it just, just sort of all fell together in that, uh, I already had all that background, which took being in the industry in a tangential way, tangential way, being in the industry from the bar side to get, because, you know, there's huge cocktail festivals and Victoria bars, is like highly rated, respected bar and like all the, uh, guides and stuff like that won awards. And so if there's a cachet you have when you work there as well, like you can walk into any high end bar and be like, it, it's like a secret handshake sort of thing. Gotcha. Um, and that was really the the way in for me into the industry because I mean I'm 42, so the idea I was never a lifer at bars, man. Like you know, my you see you see people here, especially in London as well or New York, where you know they're 45, 50, 55, and they've been working in bars their whole life, and you know there's just a early expiration date for people. God like bless that. those people, by the way. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean the lifers, man, they're. <laughs> they're a different type of person man like yeah, I, I couldn't really imagine are. dealing with that type of life for more than me like a year for me like the, just being around all that nightlife consistently and not being on the fun part of it being on the work part of it yeah. i can imagine that that adds years onto your life absolutely i mean one of my best friends here he just uh over the pandemic he bought Berlin's oldest cocktail bar because he had been working there and he was really close to the owner. And the owner was just, he had basically had to tap out for health reasons. And, um, you know, and so I was helping him out during the pandemic when we were reopening and doing outdoor seating and stuff like that. And I, so I like dipped back in in the summer of 2020 for a minute. And it was, it was fun because I only had to go there on Saturday nights, but it was also like, you know, your Sunday and Mondays uh, dead after that. And uh, it's also Berlin. So, you know, there, I mean, it's a city that truly never sleeps. So, you know, you, you close up by like three, four in the morning, then you go to the, you know, your friend's cocktail bar that's open till six, seven. And then you go to the after hours, you know, Russian underground disco that's open till, you know, like noon. And then, you know, it's just, are you, are you saying that, are you right now saying the plot of John Wick four? Cause I think you are. <laughs> That sounds like something John Wick would go to an underground Russian disco. <laughs> so basically, so basically come to Berlin and we can have a very fun time. Yes, yes, absolutely. That is guaranteed. <laughs> so that sounds fun. I, I, will, I will tell you a very a, a funny weird story. Um so my dad um my my dad uh was born in the 1930s. And so he, you know, he lived through, you know, World War II and and all those things. And and my, um, it was very interesting because you know he was used to like he had family that had served in 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 Europe and and so when we went to Germany, he had like this weird moment, right? Like because it's you know it's for older people. Like right, I I love history and I appreciate it, but you know it's you know, but like when we were taught like walking through and going to some places, and he was just like holy shit, like my uncles and stuff were like walking through here. So even like now when you talk to Berlin, there's like this weird piece of the back of my mind that relates like history, not in a bad way, but like in the nostalgia way of like how my dad grew up thinking about it and how, you know, we are today and how like as a society you progress and, and things become better and, and people and countries change, not just people change. It's just like to me is very nostalgic um, in, in, a, in, a, in a kind of a cool way, I think. Yeah, man, it, I agree with that. Like, that's one of the reasons I ended up in this part. I mean, my mom's and her family's from sort of Eastern Europe anyway, and they were technically war refugees in the 1950s that came to the U.S. or Canada and then the U.S. But when I moved here, man, one of the things that kind of enticed me about it was, especially in Berlin and, you know, some of these parts of these cities in Central and Eastern Europe, like this, you could still see the bullet holes and the mortar marks in all the buildings in the center of the city. You know, like there was still like huge section of Croatia and Bosnia. Yeah. They're still empty, you know? And so you could see the scars of war very, like very viscerally every day when you went outside. Um, And it kind of, I don't know a lot of, there was a lot of debate about 10 years ago because in, in, 
Berlin especially, they covered up the mortar, they, they had plastered over all the uh, bullet holes and the mortar marks on all the buildings. So they all sort of like went away and looked new and shiny again. And there was a lot of debate around that because it was, those scars are important. So as a reminder of how much they fucked up here. Yep. And, you know, there's still, you know, the Gedenkenskirche, you know, there's still memorials everywhere, especially in Berlin. Um, you know, every street has Stoppelsteine to commemorate the murdered Jews that were living in the literal buildings. Uh, and so, like, all that's still there, but the, it lost a certain patina that just kept that history a little more present in your mind day to day. And, um, you know, I mean, who am I to say I can? It's, if they want to make their buildings look nice again, they make their buildings look nice again. But, yeah. you know... It's it was it was a, a shift between you know around God, I want to say around 2010 ish when they started actually you know very vigorously covering up all the bullet holes really like moving on moving on yeah I feel like it yeah and, and I want to comes time for that um like one one of the things that was cool like when you're talking about that was I went to I went to Croatia um and uh i also went through bosnia and you know that whole area the former yugoslavia and 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 all that and and it's crazy when you think about like and you like on the side of the road like literally there are abandoned houses that are shot to shit and it's it's like a permanent reminder of what actually happened and and then you know growing up in in the early 90s and i knew about bosnia and all these other things right so like I'm going through now these countries of where I was like reading stuff as a kid. And I think that was also like my dad's kind of nostalgia too, right? Like he, he had seen everything about Germany and stuff from like that, like that was this main from a very early age. That was his exposure. And now here we are riding around in a minivan with like our whole family going right, through Bavaria, yeah. you know, with, I yeah. and, and, uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's just sitting here going like how, how, how history, plays out and where you might never think you step foot one day because of where you're at in your, your life, you know, 30 years from now, you might be visiting that place because history changes. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like our, like our generation, I mean, not that we're I'm much older, but uh, you know, we got very lucky in when we were sort of in the world in that, you know, after 89 and the war, 89 to 93, the world just suddenly opened up for the first time kind of ever it's, it was an inexplicable time. And I, unfortunately I think we're reverting back to uh, what it was like for me. Cause I remember in the eighties growing up, man, where it was just like, yeah, you could go to East Berlin and yeah, you could go to Moscow. And, yeah. You could go to Prague. Maybe you can go to Beijing and maybe, you know, you could go to Havana, but it was like, you got a visa or you didn't, that was it. There was no question about it. And uh, you know, I was lucky enough, you know, I got, I've been able to go to places that I've literally closed off again, like Afghanistan or, you know, I got to live in Moscow, man. And, you know, early two thousands when Putin was barely, you know, in power yet. And there was still the Novi Arbat with all the casinos and the whorehouses and the neon lights and, you know, all that shit's gone forever. Yeah. And that's, that's the sad part, you know, I, and I almost, I actually would have been to Russia. Um, I had everything planned. I was going for the World Cup, and then the U.S. Uh, you know shit the bed, so I didn't go because I really didn't want to go to Russia that bad. Um, but I wanted to watch go to a World Cup, and so yeah. that uh, anyway, I to go. Yeah, yeah. I, it, I don't see us being able to go there in the any in the near future. We'll put it that way. No, no, it's sort of a. It's a shame because it's an amazing place and, you know, things come and go. I mean, it's sort of the cycle of life. I mean, there's, like you were saying, there was a time where coming here to Germany was just out of the question, you know, like, and then yet, yet here we are. And that time wasn't that long ago, man. The wall was up, you know, only, what was it, 33 years ago, 34 years ago. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's been... I mean, history is relative, right? There's people that you probably see walking down the street that knew what it was like to live a different life. Oh, man, that was one of my favorite things, like living in Moscow back in the day. Because uh, there's, so I lived in uh, Pervomyskaya, which was sort of on the extreme eastern, south, southeastern corner of the city at the end of the Blue Line. And uh, there was like, you know, there's these huge Soviet high rises and then 
kind of underneath them on the main road is where the tram was and all the grocery stores and the kebab house and the, you know, where you wouldn't buy your stationery and all that shit. And uh, almost at least once a week, I'd be walking up to the grocery store to get some you know, supplies. And uh, I'd see this old man sort of like waddling along, you know, so, so stereotypical that it, it feels like it's a dream now, but, you know, fur hat, red star on it, brown double-breasted jacket that's way too big for him now, you know, it's a very old guy, and all his medals from World War II were hanging on it. And uh, I would look at his medals and go look it up, and, you know, one was for Leningrad, and one was for Moscow and Kursk and uh, Chernysburg and Berlin, and as my Russian skills got a bit better, I like, cause we kind of would like give each other a nod yeah. when we'd walk yeah. past each other after like six months. And, uh, I sort of asked him about it and yeah, he was, he was 18 in 1943, which at the time was only 60 years ago when I was living there. Right. And so he was only, you know, 78 years old and he had been like in those battles and, and was just survived. now. And survived and was now just hanging around while going to the grocery store to buy some vodka and literally vodka and beets and cheese and, you know, and waddling back home with his, you know, old 78 year old adult body. And it was just, it was, you know, one of those things of why I love to travel and live other places where, you know, you just don't get that anywhere else. You can't, you can't fake that. You can't, yeah. you know, there's no way to get that virtually or, you know, Tele, through telecommunication and actually going there, just bumping into somebody you see going to the grocery store every day, you know. Connor is uh, Connor's going to experience this for this is his first international trip in October that we've got coming up, and I'm really excited to be his tour guide. Nice. I'm excited that you're going to be my tour guide. Honestly, I was thinking about it today. It's like if anyone's going to take me overseas, it's going to be Paul because Paul is overseas probably once every other week. <laughs> that, that's the that's the joke. Well, one more thing about nostalgia, and I'll and I'll kind of go. I was uh, I was in um, I was in England, and we were at Windsor, and they bury all the kings there, right? And so the English are interesting and really funny, especially like the old English. Like they did wild shit. Like they would bury you in the floor, in the roof, in the wall. Yeah. It didn't yeah. fucking matter. Like you were going in that, in that, wherever, you, wherever they were burying the kings, you were going in. And I just walked and I'm looking around. I was like, you know, it'd be really fucking funny if I stood on King George's grave. When I'm like, wow, oh, there's no way he's in the floor, right? And uh, and this little English lady goes, I hope you you paid respects. And I said, why? And she goes, you're standing on, on your last king. And the look of dread. Because <laughs> I'm sitting over here like, I'm going to dance on this motherfucker's grave. Because just like George Washington, Ben Franklin, all the founding fathers want to do. I didn't. But it was one of those moments where you're just like, oh, the America in me just was, I uh, wanted to come out and just like, I got you, George. I got you, father of this country. All right. I'm going to do this for you. <laughs> You, you, ever seen, <laughs> you ever seen? You ever seen a? Well, I'm wearing a Manchester United jersey. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> you know what that just reminded me of? Uh, you ever seen that Dodge commercial where yeah, the Americans yeah, that's, that's go fight? Yeah, they go fight the British, and then they go back, and then George Washington comes storming out and leading the pack in a Dodge Charger with him. <laughs> yeah, my my friend, who you will probably meet on this trip. Uh, unfriended me on Facebook for and didn't talk to me for eight months because of the World Cup because it talks so much shit. So like I I was like sending him like ra- I would just randomly send a message. I was like seventeen seventy six eighteen twelve nineteen fifty twenty ten. Like I'm just sending him years of like humiliation, you know, like and stuff. And then and then uh, then their goalie goes out and does the hand of Claude with the weakest goal ever for a draw, and it was just. I can he he was so mad at me for that. It was so You fun. are a shit talker. You you are kind of yeah. like an instigator. You and do like we, to, you do your shit talk. And now we got we're yeah. doing it all over again cuz as soon as draw came out he said fuck. Yeah, to be fair, England uh they should be used to disappointment in the World Cup by now, man. In general <laughs> in sports. Yeah. Yeah, in sports in general, but especially the World Cup. I mean, living in Germany, man, there's a that rivalry is it's real. <laughs> It's it. What's what is what's crazy, and this is like what people in America and Americans don't understand that there is still a 
very there is still a very big rivalry out there that has that still stems from World War II. Okay. Like if you like one of the English songs is there was ten German bombers in the air. That's how they start singing. That's they're singing this at the song at the, at whenever they play, and that animosity yeah. and that dislike. Now, thank God they like fight each other on a soccer pitch and a rugby pitch and all this now. But that's that there's still that there, and and you've probably seen that more living there than. But it's I think it's pieces that most Americans don't understand, right? Yeah, I mean, man, when there's, I mean, especially right now because it's building up towards uh, uh, another World Cup. Now they're doing a, but not mid-season. I've got them already talking like it's it a, is. an American it is. again. It's um, mid-season. It, it is in mid-season. Yeah, it's basically mid-season. Uh, and so you know, this place goes silent, like a whole city goes silent, and you can see like the flickering of the the TVs and the windows, and then you know something happens, and it's like there's a mini earthquake of cheering, you know, going through the city every time there's even a, a attempt on goal, you know, and uh, it's, it's fascinating. And then that just sort of builds and builds and builds to the point where, you know, they don't get overly like, um, they don't use a lot of pageantry in their nationalistic sort of support of the uh, teams, but they're all in Germany specifically. Um, but there is this sort of energy to it. That's so different. New York because talking of, about the Italians or the English because that's way the other or the Spanish. Yeah, yeah. I mean, man, when the Spanish won because there's a huge uh, Spanish diaspora in Berlin, and like, it was like literally every Spanish person was in the street, just you know, they had you know painted in their flag and waving flags and just cheering and marching down the streets, having a, a good old time. And <laughs> it's a lot of sour Germans. <laughs> Uh well, so talk to us a little bit about we can talk about nostalgia and history all damn day, but let's talk more about whiskey. Um in your experience, give us, you know, one let, let's let's do two things. One traditional brand you were not disappointed with, you know, from being able to either tour the facility, meet the people who make made it, and one maybe off the wall brand that most people don't know about uh but should that you were pleasantly surprised with and that's tough because there are so many great people out there that i'm lucky enough to be both we'll talk about the whiskey not with. the people yeah making well, that's what's very it's tough man it's uh, uh you know honestly when it comes to traditional brands i gotta go with wild turkey um you know i grew up drinking I'm going to age myself again here. I grew up drinking Austin Nichols wild turkey, the old school bottles um, back in the day. Tenley Town, shout out to Tenley Town Liquor in Washington, D.C. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't like, I got killed on SoCo and stuff like that. I never, I never got killed on bourbon when I was younger. And uh, something I always went back to. And, you know, the way that, you know, Jimmy and Eddie have been able to both maintain the heritage of that brand, which isn't that old, honestly. We're talking about the 1960s here. Um, but that's old now, man. I mean, that's 60 years ago, which is a long time in bourbon. Uh, you know, the way they have been able to both maintain but also build that brand out into something truly special is something I respect, especially in the fact that, you know, when you talk to Jimmy or Eddie or even now Bruce and Joanna, um, they're still very adamant about keeping their whiskey accessible. So you can still get a goddamn rare breed for under 50 bucks right. in any liquor store. And you know, they want to keep it that way. And I respect that more than anything else. I mean, of course they still have, you know, you have masters keeps behind you. Of course they still have all that stuff. They'd be crazy not to, I mean, you know, they're still owned by Campari. Of course they can get to talk about that if you want, but you know, uh, what I, <laughs> you know, Jimmy Russell still has dirt under his fingers and he doesn't need to. He could have sat back on his laurels a long, long time ago. And, you know, he he's so engaged with this industry and has been through literally it all from, you know, the, the heights to the lows of the 70s and Smirnoff and, you know, to where they couldn't even give a barrel away in the 80s. Here they to, have to run him out and be like, you're retired. Get out of here. Stop trying to work. That will never happen. <laughs> <Never>. <laughs> no, uh, the you know he's a 
you talk about people being buried in the walls and the floors. I mean, he's going to have a memorial in the, in the walls or floors of that place. You know, it's, it's, he's, he's just, uh, you know, he is kind of a living legend. And, you know, that, that generation of Booker Nell and Julian Ben Winkle the third and, uh, you know, just a whole different set of ideals and standards. And I don't know, man, the juice is good. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of rare breed Kentucky spirit. I love um, it's insane you know, that rare breed is still widely accessible for anywhere. Like you can get it for as low as like 30 to find in Europe too, yeah. for the most part. Yeah. 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 It's every, I mean, thank you. Campari overlords, <laughs> um, yeah. but uh, no, it's a, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of their 81 proof. I mean, that's just for fucking whiskey and Cokes and they know that they know their one one is, you know, something that, you know, they keep it at 20 bucks to, you know, get people into the brand. And then 101 is fine for what it is. Listen, I mean, 101, if you're going to have a party and it's you, it's something you can mix and it's something you can drink neat and you're not going to be yeah. mad about it. You know, no. it's, 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 it's kind of like Makers is the same way, right? Like Makers yeah. and, and Wild Turkey 101, I think are very, for what they are, they're very solid. You can mix it or you can drink it neat or you can drink it on the rocks. And if you're going to have a party and a bunch of people over, you're not going to get pissed because you're not going to feel like you just wasted $500. Exactly. Exactly. And then, you know, if you want to go high end, then go high end. But even, even if you look at Russell's reserve, man, I mean, you go into a Kroger's in Kentucky, 30 and bucks. You get Russell's, yeah. Some on sale for 29 or on sale for 24 99, you know, for a Russell's reserve 10 year old, which, you know, in this day and age, I mean, you know, uh, there's a lot of brands I love, but, you know, a Weller 12, fucking luck, man. Well, yeah. that's because the Tater Baiters have made it unreal. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's funny because I, you know, close to a couple of people out of Buffalo Trace and they're just like, yeah, man, you know, we, you know, remember we get the MSRP on that. We don't get that markup that the uh, retailers get. And it's sort of like, man, if there's ever a kick in the dick, that's a kick in the dick. Yeah. And that's, a, that's, people don't, I think people easily forget that is that like the distilleries don't, they're not the ones that are setting those prices. They're selling it to the distributors for set cost. And it's like, like I was just, I just did this today uh, on my podcast. Well, a single barrel and yeah. that's a $50 bottle. And that's what you'll buy it for a thousand dollars in the secondary. It's, yeah. um, it's not like Buffalo trace is selling it for secondary they're they're selling it to the distributor to the distributor for whatever they're selling it for 40 bucks yeah. i don't know what it would be I mean, but there's the allocation they, issue i mean they are deciding what goes where which is yeah. you know a whole other can of worms but i know what you mean and that's what i always say man like with those aftermarket markup bourbons you got to treat them like they're MS, msrps man like weller special reserve is a 20 dollar bottle of bourbon it is. Treat it like a twenty dollar bottle I, of bourbon. I, I agree. I, I I don't like I don't like it that much. If I don't no, find like, it's a twenty dollar bottle of bourbon made for a rail, you know. If I don't buy if I don't find like Weller one hundred seven for like any, it, it has to be fifty five bucks or less. If that's not, I mean, MSRP on it is like forty five. I think so. I'm okay with. I'm always okay with like 10 to 15% more just for the convenience of his, if it's in front of my face, I'll buy it just so I don't have to go look for it longer. But my God, $135 for that. Some that I see someone's like, are you kidding me? Like if I'm going to spend that much money, I'm going to go buy an old elk sour mash, small batch (laughs) and, and absolutely enjoy it for $90 because that's MSRP and Greg Metz is a G and everything he makes is amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, like, look, I'm fine paying more for booze. Like, I'm the same way with, I look at, like, you know, I look what, like, Donis is doing down at Garrison Brothers, you know, and it's like, you know, I'm happy to pay 149 bucks for, a, you know, a cowboy or a Bella Maria or whatever that, because it's just one of a kind, you know, and it's not that widely available. You know, we're talking about craft. Talking about, that's, that's a whole different story. But if you're talking about lack for a better term, something that's produced in Kentucky in a, you know, a distillery the size of a goddamn town. Um, you that's know, expanding. That's expanding. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a little less incentive to buy it just because, you know, some whiskey nerds 10 years ago lost their shit over it. You know, <laughs> and, uh, you know and it's, it's also 
it's a business, it's an industry. There's bubbles, there's ups, there's downs. You know, I there are certain bottles that are never going to come down. I don't think. I think we're just past the Rubicon on that, and they're going to go into you know Scotch and Japanese whiskey territory and just be there forever, and that's fine too. Like you know, the, that's unless just how production goes works. up on some stuff, then yeah, I mean it yeah. is what it is. I mean, fuck, man. Heaven Hill just took their uh, single barrel off. Uh, Evan Williams single barrel, or was Elijah Craig single barrel? No, it was uh, uh, Evan Williams. Evan Williams single single barrel, which is like again, thirty dollar bottle of whiskey tops. You know, it's what maybe eight to ten years old, depending on the vintage. Mm -hmm. I say it's good. I mean, it's a it's a nice single barrel for thirty bucks. Yeah. yeah, if you yeah. want, if you want your Evan Evan Williams single barrel, this this is the yeah. time to buy it now because it's about to change. It's very, it's, very. It's definitely like yeah. I think it's it, there's so much whiskey out there, it, you know, whiskey with the e without the e. It, it's you don't have to go and buy. I mean, I've had stuff that has been very expensive, then I've had stuff that's not. Like that old elk, I was telling you, I put that old elk against Van Winkle. I would. I think it's that good. Yeah. I mean, and it'll probably a, never go into that stratosphere. Maybe. I mean, I, it's hard to say. So, you know, I was, I have friends in the beer industry as well. And I was, uh, was talking with one of my friends there about like, you know, what is it that just makes things blow up? You know, cause they like with like in the beer industry, like suddenly everyone won't shut up about a single style of beer, whether it's a fancy IPA or, in Berliner Weiss or something will, you know, have its moment. And, you know, he's very much just like, yeah, it just, you know, some, some huge celebrity will talk about some style in a movie and then suddenly everybody has to have it for a, a season. And then if it catches on because it's broad enough to catch on, it carries on in the stratosphere. But if it's a little too niche, it'll have its moment and then dissipate out. Like uh, one example of beer is like smoke porters, like, Huge in the 90s, obviously a huge tradition in Germany and Bamberg. Huge in the 90s, 80s and 90s when the craft beer industry had that first two big waves, you know, with Alaskan Porter uh, from Alaska. And then uh, Stone did a smoke porter as well in the 90s. And then it just disappeared because it, it was too too niche for the, you know, broader American palate to actually latch onto. But then now it's coming back because, you know, Germany and the United States has had this great um, agricultural partnership over the last 10 or so years where the Department of Agriculture was taking all these brewers from America and sending them to Germany to get hops and grains. And, you know, they all went to Bamberg and they all went to the malt, the smoke malt house in Bamberg and they all went to Spezial and Schenkerla and they all came back. And guess what? They're smoked beers again. Now, whether that will catch on because those brewers fell in love with something they fell in love with 30 years ago, who knows? Because maybe the palates have changed enough right. that, you know, we've been now trained through the, the hazy IPA and the West Coast IPA and the, you know, the, the fruited Berliner Weisses and Gooses and all that shit that's gone over the last 30 years. Maybe then our palates are ready for it more widely, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's still going to be that niche that only Alaska and Bamberg does, you know? That's okay. Yeah, and that's fine because I can go to Bamberg and I can go to Alaska and get it anyway. <laughs> as long as I can get it, I don't care about the rest. Yeah. <laughs> Would I like to see more? Sure. Would I like to see you know a, a you know a special edition of you know happy that people can actually buy? You know, like what with uh, Kentucky Owl just did with Wiseman, where it's like, oh no, here's a bottle for sixty bucks. That's still you know good. It's not like I mean I'm not a huge Kentucky Owl guy in the first place. I have huge respect for Deadman. But, uh, you know, it's the same thing with Blue Run. I mean, they're putting out stuff now that, you know, they, they made their mark. They got everyone's attention. Now now they're like, okay, here's stuff you can actually get. Uh, which Smoke wagons like that as well. Aaron is very, we've talked, we've had Aaron on the podcast, and he's very, very against all that, you know, not being able to buy his stuff. So, yeah. shout out to Aaron over at Smoke yeah. Wagon. Yeah, and that's to say, you can grab a bottle of like I can walk into a liquor store and grab a bottle of smoke wagon and, you know, for 60, 70 bucks, you know, and that's how it should be. I mean, that said, you know, when you then look at Japanese whiskey and scotch, you know, this has always existed. There's always been this elite level of, you know, literally, this is for investment. Like, if you pop this cork, you're pissing away, you know, possibly, 
a thousand dollar or a thousand percent increase on this in 20 years. Um, you know, that stuff has been going on, you know, for a very, very long time. So having that naturally become part of the bourbon or Irish or Canadian or even Canadian, right? Whatever other industry makes sense in the long view of things in that, you know, people get hyped for stuff and it becomes elitist and it becomes a commodity as opposed to something you just fucking drink. I mean, think about that, it. Like that's it. The, the 007 movies, right? James Bond drank scotch. That was Calister, baby. And now yeah. John Wick drinks Blanton's and that's why you can find none. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was, that, that's two, I was just, I was just saying that's two John Wick references in one podcast and that makes me super happy. <laughs> It's always uh, it's always fun to uh, talk about John Wick, but yeah, man, it's sort of you know culture does drive this stuff you know intensely. I mean, would we even be here without Mad Men? Maybe not. You know, I you know there's you know, brown brown liquid didn't come back just because it came back because the culture shifted. It came back because you know people like Chris Morris at Woodford decided in you know the, the late eighties and early nineties like you know what I'm going to make the high end bespoke bourbon in horse country uh in an old distillery that nobody cares about and uh, during like the biggest whiskey bottom out of all time but they did anyway you know yeah. and, you know so then you know ground foreman of course was integral in that but that was insane to do that back in those days and so you have mm-hmm. you know like woodford starting this movement like, yeah, you know whiskey doesn't have to be rock that you keep under the sink in the garage it can actually be something nice and whether you like Woodford or not, that's a whole different story, but you know, it, it you know, they were integral in that sort of shift of like, Oh, this can be good. I thought it was just, you know, school grandpa drink to get over the war, yeah. you know? And, and that's, uh, that's, you're absolutely right, Zach. And like the, the amount of influence that culture more specifically film and television has had on the whiskey world is, I mean, I don't know of any of any spirit that even comes close. Uh, f- me personally, I started watching Peaky Blinders, and all they do is drink whiskey. And that, honestly, if I'm being honest, if I'm being super honest with myself, that is kind of what got me into wanting to learn more about this stuff back in like 2019. It's like, man, this is cool. Tommy Shelby is the coolest guy to ever be. You know, the the, the best television of character of all time. Hot take. Um, He's drinking whiskey all the time. I wonder what it's. Let me try some of this whiskey meat in a rocks glass just to drown my sorrows. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're doing podcast. podcasts about it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right, man. It's, uh, I can tell you, know, you by his VP porn story that he <laughs> is a very big Peaky Blinders fan. <laughs> What'd that's you say? My season's VPN? coming, man. Yeah, yeah, he's already watched it. Oh, is that? Yeah. Dude, I I watched it every Sunday when I I bought a VPN so that I could get into the British television network thing and watch Peaky Blinders every Sunday. It was a pain in the ass to set up because I couldn't watch it on my TV. I had to sh- mirror my phone to my TV and that <laughs> took like 20 minutes each time. But uh yeah, I'm the right. biggest Peaky Finder uh Peaky Blinders fan probably pro- at least in Connecticut. At I least feel like we need to get some of them on the show then. Possible. If Cillian Murphy came on the show, I'd pass out. I'd be, I'd be too <laughs> nervous. I mean, we got Sam Hewen, we got Ian Summerholder. I mean, we can, we can maybe get Cillian Murphy on. Oh, you know what? This is totally. We can. You well, actually, what am I going to say, yeah, Paul? You don't Connor, stuff. We got Connor. All kinds of just. Well, no, up. man. So I've been, I've been into the show. I've been super into the show Lucifer recently, right? And little, little do I know, a quick Google search shows that. Uh, Tom Ellis, star of Lucifer, and Sam Hewen are very, very close friends. So take that as whatever you think I'm asking you. But yes, the answer is yes. So uh, Sam, if you're listening, when you get the low key uh, message for me, you know this came from Connor. Uh, Zach, we're we're obviously doing a tour of Scotland here in October. Um, we did kind of like a light tour. Uh, it set it set it up the way we wanted it to. The whole kind of plan was do like a soft tour, do some shows, make some connections and, and stuff. But if you were going to say there's one distillery in Scotland that if you don't go to, 
you should jump into the ocean naked like Sam Hewen did, which one would that be? Oh. Gonna have to go with Talisker. Okay. Oh, I think, interesting. Uh, I think Isle of Sky, stunning, just amazing. I've been to Isle of Sky, it's unreal. Yeah, it's unreal. Um, also, it is just old school, unique distillery in every way. You know, they got they got those uh, you know copper coils that come off their uh, their stills that go through go outside and coil through these old barrels of seawater to cool the, uh, the distillate down. You know, the the warehouse is right literally on the sea, which isn't that uncommon, obviously, for a scotch. Um, tiny little town there that sort of, you know, doesn't really mean anything, but right above it is the oyster shack. Um, you go up there, you walk in, and there's just all the oysters, smoked salmon, there's a little fried fish thing in the corner with, you know, for fish and chips or, you know, fried scallops or what have you. Sit there, pour a little talisker, go down, do the tour, um, with a full belly of the freshest, most beautiful seafood. And, you know, a lot of the places there are small and welcoming. I love Oban as well because it's right in the middle of the town. Um, and, you know, the town was literally built around the distillery. There was one of the only places where the distillery was there first and they built the town around it. Um, uh, and again, you know, it's seven people making that whiskey. So if you go for a tour, you're probably going to meet all seven of those people. Um, but Talisker, it's got the perfect balance of both the destination of like pure Scotland and just stunningness and, you know, craggy mountains and the sea crashing. And plus, it's just a, I'm a huge Talisker stand, like ride or die. So for me, you know, actually going there in the warehouse and seeing where the magic happens, so to speak, is something you just can't beat. Um, and, you know, of course, the, it's only the tip of the iceberg. There's about 140 other distilleries yeah. that all have their own thing. I mean, I've, you know, I'm, I was in Island March. I'm going back in June for Phage Island and our big day. And, you know, cool thing about Isla is you can be there for three days and hit them all. Um, you know, then there's, you know, Highlands, you know, you go up to Everness and, you know, a couple of those singleton ones are cool. You know, Dalwini was pretty cool. Exactly. Going in school. Um, and then, you know, going back down south, Campbelltown is so small. I mean, Campbelltown, the actual town um, where you go to Springbank, like it's a proper old school town with like an actual toy shop next to a hardware store, next to a bank, next to, you know, like the liquor store. Right. Or it's like you step back in time, and the, but then you look that way and there's this huge line going out of Springbank for some release. Um, and you know, I, yeah, but when it really boils down to, it, I feel like Talisker has it all, especially if you're there for a short time. That's yeah. a great recommendation. Isle of Sky is, I've been there and it was one of the most amazing. And I got like all four seasons in one damn day. Oh, yeah. it's, it's crazy. Like I woke up, we drove, we, we like did a tour. We didn't, we did it ourselves. Like we just started, we randomly, it was me and two of my buddies and, we were, we were staying in Edinburgh and just randomly it was going to be shitty weather in Edinburgh for like two days. We're like, well, where can we go? We're like, well, let's go to Isle of Sky. So we drove in the middle of the night up to Isle of Sky. Couldn't see shit. It was raining the whole time. Next That's day, not right. <laughs> we, it's, um, we, we stayed in Portree and then started driving. And next thing you know, there's snow and ice everywhere. I'm like, what the hell? It went from like green and warm to like Narnia before the like <laughs> queen got kicked off her throne. It didn't make any sense. And it was all within like a 25 mile radius. So like the topography and how things can change in the weather just in that moment. I mean, we, I mean, it went from sunshine on the, on the sea to blizzard in like 35 minutes. It was nuts. Yeah. I mean, that's Scotland for you, man. I love, love, love driving around Scotland. Like, uh, in March, I was just on my own. So I rented a car, went to Edinburgh for a couple nights then drove across, um, the national park, which is Loch Lomond. And so you're just driving through these like literally picturesque mountains, snow Nobody's touched. locks. Yeah. Just wild wilderness. Um, and you know, just stunning. And then you come out and you're suddenly there's the sea and you know, the islands, craggy islands and all that. And I, uh, you know, took the ferry out to Isla. Then I drove back over and 
you know, like we drove, uh, I was there in 2019 and we drove all around the country, like, you know, across uh, the Craig and Moore National Park up to Inverness. And then, you know, we, uh, one of my, one of my highlights of travel, I think ever is, uh, we went to Singleton and, and Ford, I think, I can't remember which one, but anyway, we were coming back and we stopped on the shores of Loch Ness and opened a bottle of Singleton 38. And just had it there on the shores of Loch Ness. It was this beautiful backdrop. And then we were taking water Did you from the lake that? and dropping it into the whiskey to, you know, oh, let it bloom a little bit. Man. And it was just like, there's so you, so you got some no Nessie topping juice. that. You got some Nessie <laughs> juice in your whiskey. Exactly, exactly. Paul, we got to do that, man. We got to share a bromance moment. Just hold hands on the yeah. shores of Loch Ness. He's going to hold my hand this whole time. It's going to be the weirdest <laughs> shit ever. You got cute we're hands, gonna, man. We're... we're <laughs> We're going to end up, we're going to end up at like, just, you know, he, we're, he's going to have like his and his bourbon with friends shirts. Like it's going to be like bourbon with friends bromance tour 2022. I know it's going to happen. He's going to make me wear it. And if he doesn't, he's going to fucking pout. Are we going to oh wear the God. cowboy hats though? Are we, are we doing the cowboy hats in Scotland? Uh, uh Maybe. Probably not, but maybe. Yeah, I, I feel like you want to, so you'd have to convince me to wear mine. It. I've already done it, so I mean, <laughs> yeah. nothing new. Yeah, um, I think uh, you'd be okay in Scotland. You'd fit right in. Cowboy hat. Conversation starter. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what true. are you doing here? Well, glad you noticed my ridiculous hat. Obviously, you can tell I'm not from Scotland. Uh, yeah, it's it's funny. Like I, because Connor's right. I've been to England like 20 times. And, uh, every time I go up there and like, I'll go out with my buddy and they're like, where are you from? I'm like, I'm from Macclesfield. <laughs> like, what? No, you're not. It's like, well, I was just there. Does that count? My buddy lives in Bollington, which is a little, little village outside Macclesfield. It's like five minutes away. So I tell everybody that when they're asking me where I'm from and just sometimes they think it's funny. Sometimes they're like, oh, you stupid ass American. Of course you're going to not be, say what you're thinking. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean, man. It's a, I lived in Manchester a couple summers. My wife's from Lancashire. And okay. so, uh, you know, when, when you live up there, you sort of, your voice starts moving at a different pace after a while, just because, uh, especially the northern, like, Lancastrian accents mm-hmm. are sort of specific. And so you, it's so specific that you try to, like, you don't speak in the accent, but you kind of like uh, your, the beats Russian. of how you speak. Yeah. yeah. Changes. Uh, and, uh, cause I, I love up there, like, especially in Lancashire, you go to, uh, a pub cause Cascale's huge there. So, you know, the big pump sort of like yeah. properly cellared ales of, uh, you know, just excellent quality. And, you know, you get like a, a meat pie for a pound 50 and you can take it to the pub and you get an ale and, you know, Stop it's 11 talking. in the morning. Stop talking birdie, man. This is just, <laughs> I can't wait to give Connor his first meat pie. <laughs> Dude, so if you go to Glasgow, the the pot still in Merchant, one of the better <laughs> whiskey bars in the city, but they have a little hot like a warmer for pies right on the bar, so you can get a, your Scotch pie and a, a nice dark cask ale and a pour of pretty much anything. And, uh, and try some yeah. haggis as well. Well, yeah, I know haggis is good. Yeah, it is really good. I I got a spot for us to try it already. Um, but I, I think you got to try some spotted dick, Connor. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, uh, maybe I already have. I don't know. <laughs> Cut that out. <laughs> he actually doesn't know. It's actually a thing. There's actually food over in, in, in England called spotted dick. <laughs> you're, you're, it's what, shockingly innocuous for its name. <laughs> yeah, what, what you'll really find, the biggest thing about going to the UK is that there is just like some names of pubs and different na- stuff that you're just like, the fuck yeah like the cock and pheasant you're just like what the you know, old like, nag <laughs> yeah yeah exactly i i saw one that was said it was the old hag um, yeah, yeah there's all kinds of like wild like pubs and then and then we're gonna go to the restaurant in edinburgh that i definitely has said is uh got the, one of the best wings i've ever had interesting down the hatch edinburgh. Down the hatch. If you get there next time, tell him I sent you. The guy's actually Canadian. Um, yeah, that makes sense. And because I walked in and I said, "What the shit is all the hockey stuff?" Like I was like, "Where? Where am I?" Go. And yeah. he's from Edmonton. Yeah. He's a big Oil- Oilers fan. Uh, lucky him because at least his team's not in the getting swept 
fucking Panthers. Um, I've already taken shit, by the way, Connor, for that because I had to release that podcast saying the Panthers were going to win that series. Um, uh, good point. And you're gonna yeah. have you're gonna get more shit when the Celtics win Game uh, Four. And actually, based off the way it's going, the Celtics are losing Game Five. It's literally like win loss, win loss, and it's like play like shit, play amazing, play like shit, play anyway. So I go in. Like they had found us on Instagram, said, Hey, come to the restaurant. We'd love to have you. It's like, sure, I'll take food. Um, but not gonna lie, by far the top three wings I've ever had out. And I cannot wait to go. Yeah. I can't wait to uh let Connor lick the wing sauce off my fingers. <laughs> Man, I was just somewhere I travel and do too much shit, but I was just somewhere and they had uh smoked wings, like really slow smoked wings. Man, they were good. I can't for the life of me remember where the hell I was. Smoke them and fry them and all that shit. Like it's, it's but if you go, it's down the hatch. It's a little bit of of a pain in the ass to get to right now because it's in the part of Edinburgh where they're redoing like the, uh, the, the tram where they're putting like the tramways in and stuff. So it's a little bit of an ass to get to, but it's worth it. Yeah. That's the thing with Edinburgh on that right now and Glasgow too. Like Edinburgh, they're rebuilding the tram line in Glasgow. It's just like a constant film set. So, like the center of the city is just always shut down. I was when I was there. Yeah, in maybe March, they'll be filming another Batman movie. You can go see. No, your I think they're filming Batgirl there or something. Anyway, but like the whole there's like that. There's a big you know central square uh, in Merchant, and it was all blocked off. And there was like a German Christmas market built there, and uh, it was a yes. It's a interesting right now in Glasgow. It's sort of a and Edinburgh has become kind of the uh, studio of Europe. Mm. Outdoor studio. Interesting. Anyway. We'll interesting. have to go. We'll have to go. Zach, this has been fun, man. Uh, give us, uh, give everybody out there uh, all of your details on how they can find you, read your articles and all that good stuff. Yeah, man. So um, biggest, easiest way to follow me is just go to uprocks.com. You'll find me there. I put out a couple articles a day. Um, do a lot of blind takes, uh, cover the award circuit, uh, single bottle reviews of, you know, whatever happens across my desk. And then you can follow me at ZTP Whiskey on IG. Um, I don't really use any other social media, so you can sort of see where I am, what I'm doing there. Um, I also, it's mostly just food and whiskey bottles. <laughs> um, Is there, there so, so, okay. Yeah. yeah. Do you um, think and they like a lot? Yeah, you can also uh, catch me at uh, Beverage and Whiskey Live. I host panels for them. Um, go to beverage.co or just Beverage on YouTube. You can see some of the panels I host with, uh, you know, I did you know, talk with people about literally the intricacies of wood, of grains, uh, you know, just if we try to get into the nitty gritty of things if you want to go right. really nerdy. Um, so, yeah, you can find my stuff there too. And yeah, that's. Uh, and yeah, I'm going to be at the uh, San Francisco World Spirits Gala next month, presenting some of the uh, best in show awards. So you can catch me there. Um, yeah, and I'll be in Kentucky starting July. So you'll probably see me on Whiskey Row. Well, we can yeah. do a we can do a live podcast here soon. Hell yeah, that'd be fun. We'll have to. We'll definitely next time Connor comes into town, and and you know, in, in a couple months, and you you get settled, we'll do some lives because there's there's like. 10 things we could probably sit and talk about and all oh, yeah. rings and, and, and uh, I think that would be really fun to do with like some food and whiskey in oh, front yeah. of us and just record a few shows and talk shit and have a good time. Yeah. Let's, uh, I'd love to do a, a whiskey and food pairing with y'all and just sort of totally just get, so get shitty on steaks and whiskey, man. <laughs> well, maybe, uh, yes. maybe, maybe this is something we talk about as a fun thing for the bourbon ball next year. Oh, let me know. <laughs> Next July, Zach, are you free? (laughs) (laughs) I I can be, yes. (laughs) Look at that. There you go. There we go. Zach, appreciate it. This has been really fun. Um, I feel like I, I feel like we're cutting it short, even though this has been like an hour long podcast, which is long, but like, yeah. holy shit, we can, we're going to have to do this again and just kind of get into the weeds with everything. Cause this, uh, this okay. has been really a really good time for, for us. Yeah, man, I, I can go full Joe Rogan if you need to. <laughs> and if you can that. get his stats as well, we'll have you on every week. <laughs> <laughs> 
again, uh, I'm in. <laughs> deal. All right, guys. Appreciate it. Connor, I, you look a little sleepy, my man. I know it's like two hours past your bedtime because you're the youngest and you're the biggest bitch when it comes to sleep in the world. So go get some lullabies. And remember, everybody, a bourbon with friends can change the world. That's it for this episode of Bourbon with Friends. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, leave us a review to make it easier for others to find the show. You can also check us out on Instagram at BWF Podcast. Thanks for listening.